0: Hello and welcome to World Resources Institute India's Energy Pod where we discuss the latest trends in the energy sector globally as it attempts to transition to cleaner forms of energy. I am Deepak Krishnan. I lead WRI India's efforts to support India's clean energy transition and your host for this series. This is our first episode, and we begin with a series of conversations on a rather pressing challenge for several electric utilities, or electricity distribution companies, or discoms, as we call them in India. Several Indian discoms have been bleeding for years, if not decades now. Take the case of TANJETCO, one of India's largest state-run power distribution companies supplying electricity in the southern state of Tamil Nadu. The state government recently announced that it will absorb the entire loss of TANJETCO which amounts to a little over 13,000 crore rupees or 1.7 billion USD. This is in addition to the 9,379 crores the state government has allocated towards electricity subsidies for low-income homes and agriculture. Electricity has long been a political issue in India and one of the promises that political parties often make during election campaigns is free power, particularly for the farming and low-income communities. This has led to cross-subsidies, where bulk power purchasers in India, typically the big industries, whom we call commercial and industrial consumers, being charged a premium for the power they consume to compensate for the losses incurred due to subsidies and also due to often low rates fixed by the various state electricity regulatory commissions, a quasi-judicial body that, among other functions, determines tariffs for electricity generation, transmission and distribution within the state, regulates electricity purchase and procurement process of distribution licensees. The mechanism of open access introduced by the Electricity Act 2003 has meant that such large consumers can now look to procure electricity directly from the generator. Initially, they entered such contracts with thermal generators, but with rapid lowering of prices of electricity from renewable energy sources, they have become the preferred source as they also help these large consumers meet their sustainability goals. This has come at the expense of the DISCOM. As these consumers exit the network, their cross subsidizing revenue is lost, leaving cost recovery to be done from a smaller and, as some predict, a shrinking pool of consumers. In the first of this series, where we discuss the challenges facing Indian DISCOMs in enhancing the amount of renewable energy on offer for their customers, my former colleague Ashok Thanikonda spoke to Mr. Ganesh Srinivasan, CEO of Tata Power Delhi Distribution Limited. Ashok spoke to Mr. Srinivasan days before he moved on and we wish him well and thank him for facilitating this insightful discussion. Tata Power has been one of India's early private sector electricity distribution companies with main operations in the cities of Delhi and Mumbai. It has also been an early adopter of new pricing for renewable energy by offering innovative green tariffs mainly for its Mumbai license area customers. Ashok began by asking Mr. Srinivasan for his thoughts on what discoms have been doing so far in their attempts to scale their offerings of renewables in their energy mix.
1: So, in your experience, even at Tata Power or before, what do you think uh, are, you know, the efforts that discoms are doing in terms of scaling up the RE?
2: So, primarily, uh, we have two things that uh, we do. One is, of course, the right. bulk power that we buy, which is, I would say, almost 95-98% almost of our power is coming from a grid sourced power. Uh, so right. increasing the quantum of green power or renewable power that we have in our portfolio, that is something that definitely the DISCOM is uh, doing in conjunction with the RPO trajectory that the regu- state regulator has set for the DISCOM. So that is number one duty or responsibility of the DISCOM. Second is to ensure that the customers have a clear visibility of how to get rooftop solar, how to go through that process, make it as frictionless as possible so that the customers don't face any inconvenience or any uncertainty as far as uh, getting rooftop solar is concerned. I would say the third kind of related one is uh, now which has started is ensuring that customers are getting electric vehicle charging connections also in a fast, smooth manner. Of course, it is linked in a sense that the power is not 100% green today, but in the longer term, the intention is that this will help us to move to that transition in a much faster manner both power, which is coming from the DISCOM, as well as uh, transport-related emissions. So if you look at it overall from a green perspective, these are the most critical aspects that we are working on. Specifically on uh, Tadapar DDL, just facts I'd like to state and where we would like to go. So, today we have renewable portfolio of about 22% of our power comes from renewable sources. So, let's say about one-fifth of our power comes from renewable sources. But additional 10% comes from hydro, nuclear, biomass, waste to energy. All these are not fossil-based. So, all are uh, clean, one can say, not necessarily coal or gas. So, roughly about one-third of our power comes from such sources. And we would like to take it to see the country as an aspiration of getting to 50% green by 2030. So as Tata power as Tata Group, we would always like to be ahead of the curve. So we would like to get to this 50% three years for that milestone because uh, that is important from a Tata Group perspective also that we are ahead of game as far as sustainability is concerned. So uh, these are a few things that I, I wanted to share.
1: Thank you, sir. Very lucid and clear. So, as you have explained the initiative that you're all trying to do, what are the barriers that council are facing in doing so?
2: I would say three main barriers are there. One is, uh, of course, green power is not uh, around the clock today, right? And unless storage becomes economical, which it is still not, it is quite a distance away from... So, just to, as a reference... About our uh, variable cost of coal or gas. Coal, let's say gas is very costly, but coal is about 2 rupees 75 paisa per unit. Add fixed cost of about 1 rupee 25, 1 rupee 50 paisa. So roughly about 4 rupees fixed plus variable cost per unit is what you get from a thermal plant. Of course, it is subject to variations and stuff, but roughly about 4 rupees or there above. Now, renewable, of course, pure renewable is reached, can come at 2 rupees also we have seen bids at 199 198 but let's say about 240 is the average price that we see for renewable but when you add that storage price then it goes right up much more than 6 rupees because storage is still becoming cheaper it is perhaps where solar was in 2013 2014 i remember solar tariff started at 18 rupees this was uh, 10 years back and of course it has come down to about 2 rupee level today so we need that same kind of cost to trajectory to happen In an Indian context, it matters that it is at lower cost. Green alone is not sufficient to satisfy because we are in a different stage of development than, say, Germany or other countries. So for us, the number one impediment is the non-availability of round-the-clock lower cost power because of which we cannot shift 100% to renewables because I don't have anything which I can supply in the night. The second challenge is, of course, the inherent variability of wind particularly. Solar is less variable, but we have done studies where we have analyzed the schedule that is given by the generators. So roughly, whatever they decide, whatever they fix as a schedule on a day ahead basis, the variation is anywhere up to 40 to 50 percent of the quantum. So somebody say predicts, now it's about 3 o'clock. So between 3 to 3.15 time slot or 3.15 to 3.30 time slot, say 200 megawatt will get generated is the prediction based on their estimation of wind, their estimation of cloud cover, etc., etc. But when actually 3 o'clock comes the next day, when the power has to get delivered, the variation can be as high as 40 to 50% in wind particularly. In our case, we have 16 generators who are supplying us power, uh, renewable generators. So you can imagine that each of these 16 has its own, these 40, 50% variations built in, aggregated your, you then have to still supply the power to the end customer. Sometimes you are excess because of this variation, sometimes you are short because of this variation. So you have to keep watching this scenario and you may have to buy or sell in the real-time market based on variation that is caused by others. Plus, we are, have our own variation of schedule. I imagine that maybe the temperature is 40 degrees, maybe it is 38 degrees and the demand doesn't rise as much or it suddenly rains, not expected, suddenly demand drops. So not only do I have to contend with the variability that the DISCOM is having for demand, I have to also have to contend with the variation of supply from the renewable generators. So this is a quite a complex exercise that has to be done 24 by 7, 365 days of the year. The renewable generators need to get better at predicting what they will generate at what time so that the DISCOM is not saddled with all the variation that it can absorb. The third challenge, which is something that is, of course, there in a lot of litigation today, is the tie-ups of thermal plants, which are more than 25-year duration. So I would say that that is still subjudice or things that are getting decided. The fourth overall challenge is generally the distribution company is under stress because the tariff that is given by the state regulators is not exactly cost reflective. So it is perennially in this cash flow crunch. Or having inadequate cash to meet its fixed cost obligations, to meet all the payments that are required to maintain the network, to make the necessary payments of interest and all that stuff. So I would say these are the four barriers. So number one is lack of RTC power, round the clock power at low cost. Second is the variability. Third is the existing types which have crossed 25-year time frame. And fourth is the cost-reflective tariff not really being there. And that causes a lot of financial challenges to the Discount.
1: This third question, in a sense, I think flows from your previous answer, which is what has been the impact on the bottom line or finances of this
2: Okay. Before answering that, I would say that uh, there is a strong business case for uh, Aripar being part of the portfolio, right? This is assuming that you want to fulfill the RPO obligation. If you don't want to fulfill the RPO obligation and ignore the law, there are many discounts that are part of that. But assuming that you want to fulfill the RPO require obligation which is there, then it makes a lot of sense to buy RE power rather than depend on REC certificates, uh, renewable energy certificates, because the renewable energy certificate costs somewhere between two rupees fifty paisa to three rupees, depending on whether it is solar or non-solar RPO. Anyway, you need the power of your uh, operations, so might as well buy green power at say two rupees thirty paisa, two rupees forty paisa. Rather than buy brown power, at 4 rupees and then add REC cost of 2 rupees. So roughly, if you say 250 is the cost of green power, the REC plus brown power combination comes at about 6 rupees. So here itself, you are having a 3 rupees 50 pesa per unit saving. If you have green power in your portfolio, of course, you cannot go beyond a certain percentage because there is no night power available. But today the RPOs are in the range of 20-25%. So it is very much doable. Our estimation is that roughly because of the green power that we have tied up and not buying the RECs, we have saved about 300 crores in a year. That is the approximate estimation. Plus, not counting, the cost of green power itself is, as I said, 1 rupee 50 paisa cheaper. So, another 150 to 200 crore is just the cost of lower power plus 300 crores of avoided REC. So, roughly about 500 crores of saving is definitely there for a discom of our size on a base of about uh, 7000 crores of revenue. So you can uh, put the percentages there. It can be much more if the storage is cheaper and it can scale up and that's what will happen in the next three to four years. But today it is already a very strong business case to have more and more renewable in the portfolio.
1: That's a very impressive uh, achievement. So the fourth question, is the retention of commercial and industrial consumers a problem? this point for Tata
2: Pro? From a Delhi uh, operations perspective, uh, commercial industrial retention is not an issue for us right now. The reason being the regulator in 2021 uh, levied an additional surcharge, which makes it less viable or less attractive for a customer to move to open access. But in my previous role, uh, where I was in Mumbai, its commercial industrial retention in mumbai based on the tariffs that the regulatory commission had declared there was a major challenge particularly also because the number of large customers who are greater than 1 megawatt was quite substantial so it depends on discount to discount our commercial industrial overall is about 55% of our units but bulk of them are less than 1 megawatt size so they are not eligible for open access tomorrow hypothetically if the electricity act changes and The limit is made from one megawatt to say 500 kilowatt, then a lot more of our customers will become eligible. Theoretically, it is a challenge. But uh, in our case, because of the additional surcharge, it is uh, practically not a a major issue for us.
1: So um, that's an interesting uh, situation right now where you acknowledge that as of now, it's not a big.
2: It can become a challenge because additional surcharge can can reduce, can vanish it's a regulatory levy or a charge and that can change it was not there before 2021 can get reduced in 2022-23 so it is something that we have to constantly work towards with the regulator to ensure that the cross-subsidy component is reduced the challenge is not about commercial industry particularly but the vast difference between the residential and the commercial somebody has to pay for that lower cost of residential customers happens to be the cni customers so if the cross-subsidy is so large then that causes a challenge.
1: they so have answered my next question already. That uh, In the context of central government's push and even the cheaper RE coming into the system, how are you evolving
2: to you know address this? Increasing the green, right? The RPOs are there only up to 2023. Uh, see, I, I think the if India wants to go to 50% by 2030, now the reality is that in India, it takes between two and a half to three years to get a renewable plant functional because of the timelines required for the administrative process, the physical construction time, all the supply chain disruptions that are happening. Now, if I have to have a 2024 RPO, it should have been under construction now, if actually it has to come online in 2024. Ideally, from a DISCOMS perspective, I would like to have at least a 4-5 year visibility of RPO, so that the planning can be done, the power procurement can be done. So, number one requirement for Apart from the uh, technology reduction, but discounts need a, at least a three to five year visibility of RPOs that we are expected to fulfill. Uh, that will give a lot of visibility, ensure that investment happens, right? That's number one. Second is we need to have more options for conscious. See, there are customers who are more conscious than the rest on green. Uh, for example, there are customers like data centers who are serving the big uh, companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Flipkart, etc., etc., they want to be 100% green. Even though it may not be a national requirement, but they have as a corporate decided. A lot of the overseas banks have, have taken pledges that by 2025, they will become 100% green. So, as a DISCOM, I need to make sure that I have solutions for them, even though my overall portfolio may not be 100% green, but how can I give 100% green to such customers who are ready to pay some extra Delta price to be green? And third is from a regulatory standpoint, the barriers that I mentioned about older power plants continuing to be there. Those are drags which I have to pay fixed cost for that without actually availing much power. So that investment I would have rather done in a green power. So these are things that are important from our next three to five year perspective to really take this, say, 22 percent that we have to reach somewhere around 40 percent. We need some of these things to happen. Fantastic, sir.
1: So, I was particularly caught by something you said about these corporates who are willing to pay premium you know, renewable energy. Uh, one of the, the most prevalent models is the green tariff, uh, which you are very well aware has happened in Maharashtra yes. and before that, uh, it's in Karnataka and Amra also. So, Tata Power in Delhi, are you trying to uh, roll out something like this?
2: We have uh, approached the Delhi Electricity Regulatory Commission for declaring a green tariff. What i also understand is that mnre and ministry of power are coming up with green tariff guidelines as well so that each state does not need to reinvent the wheel as far as a green tariff there is one concept or similar concept across the country it will simplify life as well so both of these are in quite advanced stages and uh, we should expect that a green tariff for customers who are uh, don't have the open access option right so particularly those who have open access can anyway avail green power from open access it is with the regulator to finally decide. And my understanding or my uh, discussion so far leads me to believe that it is in advanced stages and will get finalized very soon. So
1: that's uh, great news. So, in your experience of providing uh, inputs or designing this uh, green tariff, what do you think is some fresh thinking that we need to bring? The way it already plays out in the Indian context, especially the green tariff, a similar initiative.
2: See, the, see the, this uh, space, uh, uh, there are multiple elements that need to work together. Technology is there, for sure. Battery, hydrogen, something else will come up. So, technology is there. There's a piece. Obviously, the regulations is uh, important piece of that jigsaw puzzle. The business model, viability, and customer participation. So, whenever we do something in this area, we have to look at all these four elements to work together. Unless these happen, it remains as a good pilot. Like I can do a pilot, but it will not scale up unless technology, regulations, the business model and the customer participation. All four need to kind of work together. We have done a couple of such experiments and we have taken it to regulators as well. We have done a pilot on peer-to-peer solar trading. A prosumer who has excess solar power, instead of feeding it to the grid, can trade it with another consumer. A consumer who's ready to pay that price because he's more conscious and he or she doesn't have space for rooftop but still wants to get more green power. So they can buy from a prosumer and fulfill their energy requirement. We have discussed that with our commission, Honorable DRC as well as the MNRE, to see how we can take it forward. Uh, we have also done a very interesting pilot on demand response. Demand response is the cheapest form of energy when there is a peak power requirement and power is extremely costly. And such variations we will see more and more as more and more thermal PPAs expire. We need to have such solutions in the kitty of the distribution company because if I don't have a stable power source like a thermal power plant, I need to be able to call on demand response. I need to be able to call on battery vehicle to grid or battery storage pumping into the grid. So I need all of these to work together and the discom needs to be able to handle millions of such devices Rather than today, I am interacting with 25, 30 entities. Imagine I have to deal with 100,000 prosumers. So many others who are having behind the meter battery storage or lakhs of EVs which have excess power. So the whole model of next, say, five years down the line, how a distribution company needs to integrate all these disparate, much smaller load or much smaller quantum of both load as well as source into its system, integrate it, uh, optimize it, that is where a lot of work is going on now across the world as well as in Tadapa, so that we are ready for what is going to be the future rather than this centralized system, which is still, although it started to change, but we still very much in the centralized model of working where there is an NTPC plant or there is a large power plant here and there and we are scheduling rather than dealing with those 20, 30 generators, we have to deal with thousands of them who are also customers in our network. So that is the paradigm that we have to change or get used to and figure out the right technology solutions, cost-effective for the Indian scenario. Because that is where it really makes it challenging that the technology solutions need to be adapted for the Indian cost uh, structure.
1: Fantastic. That sounds really fascinating, Sid. And I was really struck by the range of ideas that you at TataPour are trying to explore. So follow-up question on this as you deploy these ideas is there any regulatory nuances that you are having to navigate you did mention that you're closely working with the honorable Delhi regulatory commission or with mnre mop in addition to all these ideas which you've already started working on are there any global ideas best practices that you would want to bring into india in which case what is the again uh, adaptation that we have to do to suit the indian context
2: So I would say, apart from what I've already shared earlier, I think one uh, thing that I think all power sector stakeholders are eagerly looking forward to is the ancillary regulations. The whole case for storage can happen only if there's a healthy ancillary market available. And uh, the sooner the better that happens, it will help. Because on its own, uh, storage is quite challenging in the current cost structure. If we have good ancillary market, then the... Regulators also feel more confident to fund these projects or to uh, accept these projects, approve these projects. Ancillary regulations, already it's in advanced stage, is expected sometime in the second half of this year. But that is what is really important for storage to pick up. Then storage picks up, then more renewable can get integrated. That positive cycle or virtuous cycle can be started. So that is there. And of course, we need uh, regulations like demand response. These require a lot of state regulators to adopt it. Because these are mature concepts in Europe, in Hong Kong, in US. Demand responses are well accepted, tested across multiple DISCOMs or distribution utilities. I think it is very much required in India. But the current time of day tariff or time of use tariff which we have is not attractive enough for users to actually shift their load. We need something much more attractive to actually make that. And we need such things because we can't have lot of storage in the system. We need demand response and other flexibility mechanisms to actually shift the load and uh, ensure that we are able to fulfill the demand with the available real-time power that we have. I would say ancillary and demand response are two critical aspects that are it.
1: fantastic Fantastic. With that, we go to our final question. But what would be your uh, recommendations to the policymakers and regulators as they guide India's clean energy transition?
2: Number one is the distribution companies need to be given a cost-reflective tariff because if the distribution company is gasping for oxygen, then clean energy and uh, green, et cetera, seem like much higher in the Maslow's pyramid of satisfying, right? So first, I'm gasping for oxygen from a cost reflective tariff perspective. I think that is number one. Second is longer term visibility of RPO, which will give time for the DISCOMS to plan and third as i said is mechanisms like demand response ancillary to be taken up i would say these three are like super important if india is serious about its 50% green by 2030 uh, all of this has to happen only only then it's uh, going to happen
1: so that actually uh, ends uh, the list of questions we have. sir. and thank you very much sir really appreciate your time again uh, no we'll get that thank to you. you thank you bye bye thank you bye
0: We'd like to thank Ashok and Mr. Srinivasan once again for this insightful conversation. I have quite a few questions now based on this conversation. For instance, could other utilities in India attempt what Tata Power has attempted, with its value-added services to retain their C&I consumers in the open access era? Or what are the other solutions that discoms are attempting to stem the loss of bulk consumers? Indeed, is the situation of demanding a greater mix of green tariffs universal across India Or is it specific to Mumbai and Maharashtra, the state where India's commercial capital is based, or Delhi, India's national capital? What are the challenges in other states? And indeed, a central question, could a cost-reflective pricing be possible for discoms to be financially healthy in the near future, for them to take more bold initiatives? Or would this be too politically risky, as India still has major energy access challenges to address nationwide? Thank you for listening and do return for more such conversations in the coming weeks. I am Deepak Krishnan, I am part of WRI India's energy team and your host for this series.